Hello and welcome to Look for the Helpers, an ICT SOS podcast. My name is Amber Gonzalez, the Education Coordinator for ICT SOS. When our favorite neighbor Fred Rogers was a boy and would see scary things in the news, his mother would say to him, look for the helpers. You will always see people helping. Today, the helper we are looking to is Terry Atwater, CEO and Executive Director of It Takes a Village Incorporated. It Takes a Village is a transitional living environment that provides youth in foster care and other at-risk youth with a structured environment, educational and employment opportunities, life skills development, and a place to call home. ICT SOS has partnered with It Takes a Village for many years. We consider Terry Atwater a friend and admire his leadership in serving youth in our community. Today, I sat down with Terry and our executive director, Jennifer White, to discuss the recent protests in the Wichita areas sparked by the death of George Floyd and how our community can move forward together, as well as our responsibility as individuals to affect change. For further information about ICTSOS and how you can help or donate, please visit our website, ictsos.org, and follow us on social media at ICTSOS. All right. Well, I am sitting here today with Terry Atwater, the executive director of It Takes a Village Incorporated, and also our executive director, Jennifer White. I am going to sit back and let them introduce themselves, give an update of how they are right now, and then we're going to dive in on this conversation. Yeah, I'll let you go first, Terry. Okay, my name is Terry Atwater, and I am, as, as Amber just said, I am the executive director at It Takes a Village. We actually have transitional living homes for teens ages 16 to 23. We currently have seven homes with a capacity of 12, 12 kiddos. 13 boys and 12 girls. So we've got a pretty nice mix and we're just trying to uh, to keep everybody healthy and, and get through this COVID-19. And I'm Jen. I think anybody that's listened to the podcast or followed any of our stuff knows who I am. Um, I'm just kind of like everybody else, ready to get back to work a little bit and um, ready for some things to kind of normalize with schedules and all that good stuff. But other than that, doing good. Sounds good. Um, I'm just happy to be sitting here um, face to face with two people um, because we've still been working from home. My husband's been working from home. I'm at home for the most part and um, we don't get to get out and socialize a whole lot more. So um, this is exciting for me today. I feel like I need to tell the listeners for their sake who can't see us that Amber has her hair and makeup done and earrings on today and she looks super cute. And she doesn't look like the rest of us that have been living in yoga pants. (laughs) Oh, I haven't uh, done any of what I'm wearing today since March. So um, yeah, it was exciting. Thank you. It was my birthday last week as well. So uh, it's part of my continuing birthday celebrations that I can kind of treat myself. I like it. So um, we were talking just a little bit before we got started on this podcast um, about what's happening at It Takes a Village for you. Um, First, I just kind of want to talk about the situation with COVID and how that's affected your organization, if that's okay with you. Sure, sure. Um, Just for our listeners that maybe are in a position where maybe they could help donate or help in any way. Um, So would you mind sharing a about that a little bit? Sure. We've we've had a couple of cases, positive cases of COVID-19 since this pandemic started. We had a worker that went to work, came to work for us on the 27th. On the 28th, she had three asthma attacks and they thought it was related to her asthma as a result of some testing on the 27th. 
found out that she, in fact, was positive with COVID-19. She was in ICU from March 27th to April 20th. Mm. Oh, wow. So, and she had one, one really rough night based upon she had pneumonia, had an asthma attack with COVID-19. So you can imagine it was, we were, it was touch and go for her that mm-hmm. night. And she's still not back at work. So we had that situation. So at that point we had to put all seven of our houses under quarantine because I migrate through all the houses. So we had all seven of our houses under quarantine. We, so then we went after quarantine and we tested 44 people at that particular point. Well, 43, 40, 40, and 43 people. That's right. 43 people. And unfortunately, at that point, after we tested everybody, we had everybody test negative except one of our residents. Mm. So then again, we go partially <sighs> back under quarantine again. Yeah. So we've we've had, unfortunately we've had a lot of experience with how to deal with it, how to sanitize, sterilize mm-hmm. and, and everything along those lines, because it is a challenge. It is a challenge. Both the, the, the young lady that tested positive was asymptomatic the entire time, never even so much as ran wow. a temperature. And and the goodness is she has tested negative, as has our worker. Not sure if our worker will ever return due to the fact that she's on oxygen now. Sure. So she may never return. So it is real. I mean, it, yeah. it was uh, certainly like a kick in the stomach when we found out. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one thing that, um, you know, people don't realize is, you know, even though you had a kiddo that was that was asymptomatic and you didn't have hospitalizations and things like that with your kids, all of that um sterilizing and cleaning and all of the extra, um, not only work, but expense that goes mm-hmm. into that, um, definitely is something to, you know, kind of take into consideration for people as they're kind of thinking about, and, and we'll kind of touch on this throughout, but, um, one of the things that I want people to kind of think about as we're talking through, um, some of this is the, um, the hardship that organizations have taken on, um, through this, time with the pandemic of added expense, added staff, um, and just the, the additional costs of materials and and things like that. So, um, just kind of for our listeners to kind of be thinking about what that looks like and, and then maybe ways that they might be able to help. Right. Yeah. It, it definitely can be financially challenging when you look at just the, the Lysol, the, the cleaning supplies. If you can even find it. If you can find it. If you can find it. I mean, I was really, I just put out an SOS on Facebook and just said, hey, can anybody help? And, and that was actually how I got my first round of, of sanitizing products. Mm-hmm. People were just out and about and they said, hey, I got you this, I got you that. And then yeah. I just go purchase it from them because otherwise I just didn't have time to continually go to the stores. And it has been difficult. Yeah. So, so staff members now negative. Correct. Doing well on the way to recovery, at least. Correct. Correct. And then kiddos are are healthy and doing well. Oh yeah, she's fine and doing doing very well. Good. Yeah. Good. That's good. But everybody's still at home because kids are not in school. Correct. Right. Correct. Still at least partially shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about eating all the food in all the houses. They so are definitely doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> higher than they've probably ever been right. for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then the challenge of staffing for you because of not being out of in schools for students. Yeah, and we were talking about, about that a little before we started recording, but um, do you want to touch just a little bit about kind of what your staffing challenges have been through this or the, the changes that you guys have had to make? Sure. You know, with school letting out early, that put us in a position where, of course, doing school, we are two things about school. One thing about school is that we don't have anybody on first shift. So that provides some savings for us from an employment standpoint when school let out early in March. So we had to now we had to staff first shift. Now, the other thing that really hit us hard 
was generally speaking, our kids eat lunch, breakfast and lunch at school. Right. So now school's out. So now they're getting breakfast and lunch at home. So I was talking to our CPA recently and, and, and uh, our expenses just for food went up about 28 percent. So. Wow. Well, and for people that have been following along with some of the things that we've done, you know, we partnered with um, Medis and their um, initiative uh, when this all first started. Um, and we helped with the fundraising arm of that. And I know you guys were on the receiving end yes. of some of the food yes. and things, but that's a fraction of, you know, I mean, I'm sure it was helpful, but right. it didn't feed everybody for every meal for right. that time period. So, um, you know, for people that donated and, and helped with um, the food part of that, you know, I know you guys were on the receiving end, some of the domestic violence shelters, the children's home, things like that. So, um, you know, just know that those those donations and things, this is where they go. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the, that's the goodness of it. You know, we, we continue to be exposed to our community and the, and the giving of our community. Mm -hmm. And that's just absolutely wonderful. The, the, the food that we receive is, is consumed. I jokingly tell people with, with our kiddos, if you put ketchup on wood, they will eat it. <laughs> so anything short of wood, they'll, well, they'll eat. So. If you were getting food from Medis and Picasso's. Oh my and goodness, oh my goodness. They, they were, they were. The Picasso's was giving us the large pizzas. The big old pizzas. You know, pizzas and teens, how can you go wrong, right? right? Mm -hmm. How exactly. can you go wrong? Mm -hmm. Exactly, Very yeah. good. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, let's kind of switch gears here um, and talk about just recent events and things that maybe specifically are are happening here in Wichita. Um, since the weekend, um, the last few nights, there have been some rallies and some protests. Um, and I know that the police chief has stepped up and has voiced some things, but this is kind of the part where in the very beginning when I invited you, I said, you know, Terry, I'm going to invite you to come in here. I'm going to turn your microphone on and I'm going to step aside. Um, so I just, I would like to do that. I would like to hear um, what is on your heart. Um, and then if there's any, any questions or anything that maybe Jen and I can kind of step in with, we can do that. Is that yeah, okay? Yeah, I think good? for us, you know, our... Um, our staff is all white. Mm -hmm. We're all female. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but we intersect um, with with kids and and people of of all backgrounds with what we do um, in the schools and and going out and speaking to the community and things like that. And so, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about as a staff is through all of this, um, where do we fit in the conversation, or do we? And um, you know, kind of what does that look like? And so for myself, and I think Amber kind of said this too, I've kind of taken a posture of, I need to shut up and listen. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think like, like Amber said, we, we just kind of like to hear, um, hear what's on your heart about everything that's going on, how that's affecting your kids. Um, if it is and, and kind of your staff and, you know, if there's things that, that we can be doing as a community to support you guys and, where do we go from here? <laughs> you know, good. That, that's good. And that's, that's a good leaning. Mm -hmm. I, I'll tell you, the one thing that you said, and both of you all have said, is listen. And, and it's, it's, I was talking to a pastor the other day, and we were kind of going back and forth about listening. And one of, the, one of the criticalities of listening, it goes back to, we were talking about books in general. You know, a lot of people read the book. You know, when you're starting to look into someone's soul, you have to read the words. You have to really get it, take it a step deeper than just reading the book. And, and what's what's really going on? Am I hurting? Sure. I mean, you, I don't know. I was telling my wife the other day, I said, you know, the reality of this is, is big boys do cry. 
I mean, because it hurts. Mm-hmm. It hurts when I when I see some of the injustice that goes on. However, you know, you can't just as you can't paint a broad brush of saying that all the looters are black or Hispanic or whatever the case may be. You still can't say that all cops are bad, all white. It's not that. Right. And until we take the time to get to know one another, we're going to be stuck in a rut. You know, I was listening to a football coach this morning and he was saying that, well, there's just no racism in football. There's no racism in the NFL. And, you know, it's hard for me to get upset with him because he is speaking from his window. Right. right. His And what he's seeing out of his window is what he's seeing. Now, mm-hmm. sometimes you have to open your door and go outside and then you're doing more than just looking out your window. And that would be what I would suggest to him is to, to go outside, to talk with someone, you know, the. The adage that, you know, hey, my best friend is black, my I've got a black neighbor, uh, all that's fine and dandy. But do you really know? Mm, you know, right. I, I, I made a comment the other day on Facebook and, and I was talking about specifically how much alike we are and that I think the numbers came out to seven percent of our bodies are, are red. And if if I cut me or cut you, we're both going to see the same color. And then 15 percent of our body density is bone mm. now, in decay. We're, our bones look just alike. And then the other 60 percent of us is water. And we both mm. have that same fluid flowing through us. So stepping into the game, we're, we're already 82 percent alike. So we only really have an 18 percent window to make up. Mm. Right. That's that opportunity to talk with one another is that 18 percent window to make up. Now, I, granted, that's a whole much more simplistic than it really is. Right. That's mm-hmm. much more simplistic than it is. But but I said that to say we really are a lot more alike than different. It's just a matter. We have our own backgrounds, where we've come from, what we've gone through. And that's what makes us who we are. That's you know, when I when I think about diversity, it's not skin tone. It's not. It's where you've been, what you've done, where I've been, what I've done, where you've been. It's all of us bringing those things to the table, taking a look at it. And we even have to have the ability, sometimes even the audacity to agree to disagree. Mm. But that can't stop us from going forward. So, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that has really kind of been on my mind lately is is the us versus them mentality. And whether that's, you know, the black community versus the police or left versus right or, you know, whatever. Um, when we come at things with that posture, somebody has to lose in order for somebody else to win. And I think the thing that, um, that a lot of communities are struggling with is how do we each take one step toward the middle versus, you know, playing tug of war Mm -hmm. on, on any issue, right? There's, there's such a, a polarization of, of things right now. And I think one of the things that, um, at least, you know, from, from my perspective, kind of watching that Wichita seems to be doing a better job of than a lot of communities is creating space for some of those conversations to, um, to allow people to listen to each other. Um, is that, do you feel like that's accurate or is, is that? Oh, I do. I do. I've been contacted by a number of people (laughs) saying, Hey, can you come to this? Can you come to that? I'm, I'm a little selective, right? Because I don't want it to be a, a who's at this event type of deal. You know, I went to an event last Saturday at the police substation on 21st street, well-organized. And and I'll tell you, the interesting thing about that, when you looked out at the crowd, it was probably about a 50-50 mix between blacks and whites. So that was impressive. That Mm -hmm. was uplifting to know that people were there that didn't look like me, 
but wanted to know what was going on mm-hmm. with me. Mm-hmm. I was talking to our city councilman, Brandon Johnson, and we were talking and emailing back and forth. And he actually posted as well. He said, I'm not OK. And I think that's the sentiment of a lot of blacks right now. I'm really not OK. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm putting one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. But the hurt is real. When I think about, you know, when, when all this started, I have sons that are 35, 32 and 30 and a grandson that's 22. All four of them drive. And I remember one night I, I was just watching the news and I just text them all. And what I said to him was just be safe, be safe, because I know that you can get stopped and and some things can happen that don't normally happen. Mm-hmm. I, I ran into a young man at Walmart a couple of days ago, a couple of days ago, and he was walking out of the store and I saw him and we made eye contact. And I thought it may have been a kid that I used to coach. And so I walk, and this is the reality, you know, when I tell people this, they're like, oh, really? That happens? So I walked up to him and we started talking and we realized we didn't know each other. Well, I started talking to him anyway. I don't care. <laughs> and so as he was sitting on his front seat and I was standing right with his door open and I noticed that he had around his, his uh, rearview mirror, he had a lanyard and his driver's license was in a, in a plastic pocket. And I said, hey, why do, you, why do you have your driver's license in a plastic pocket in a lanyard on your mirror? And he said, oh, you can see it. He handed it to me. On one side was his driver's license. When I flipped it over, it was his father's name, his father's cell phone, his mother's name, his mother's cell phone, and their home address. And then at the bottom it said, you do not have permission to search my son's car. And I, and I said, why do you have that in here? He said, because my mother and father want me to come home alive. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the reality. You know, mm-hmm. I've talked to my sons. We call it the 10 and 2 rule. First thing you do if you get pulled, and, and then let me be very clear, 99% of the police are good police officers. Right, I, we work I, with I, some I, great I, ones absolutely. every day. Absolutely, they're absolutely wonderful. That, it's that 1% of that rogue that, that creates the issues. Now, the problem for a black man getting pulled over is you don't know which percentage is pulling, pulling you over. Mm-hmm. So I tell my, I've told my sons, first thing you do is roll the window down. That's the absolute first thing you do. Before they even get out the car, you roll the window down. Then you put your hands at the 10 o'clock and two o'clock position. You allow every last word to come out of your mouth to be, sir, you're slow, you're methodical, you're telling them what you're doing. I'm getting my license out of the glove compartment. Is that okay, sir? And, you know, that's it's a sad reality, but we've had to do that. I mean, that Mm -hmm. is my my boys can recite it better than me because I've talked with them so much about it. My grandson, even more so, he's 22. And so that is the, the, the reality. And sometimes I tell, uh, I was talking to a gentleman, a very good guy that I used to referee basketball. We were talking, he's up in Kansas City. And he asked me, he said, are you serious? You really do that? I said, I'm not the only one. No. That's happening. Yeah, That's no. happening. Well, and all you're over. not the mm-hmm. only person that I've heard that from um, with their boys either. And I think um, you were at my house mm-hmm. a week or so ago to pick up some donations. And we had this conversation a little bit too. And, um, you know, I'm, white, early 40s, early 40s. <laughs> um, I stand about five, 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 six on a good day. I'm just not, in any situation, I'm, I'm really not a threatening presence to anybody. <laughs> yeah. But um, we were having this conversation and um, I was pulled over a couple of years ago coming back from dropping one of my girls that I had at Carpenter Place, um, dropping her off at work, I got pulled over just outside of Andover because I had headlight out. Mm-hmm. And um, I can remember doing the exact same thing that you just said. I put my window down, I put my hands up on the, the um, steering wheel, but my motivation in that moment was not for my safety. 
it was for the officer's safety. Mm-hmm. I wanted him to know that he was safe approaching my vehicle in the middle of the night. And it's just same situation, but my experience is so completely different mm-hmm. that my my response to that situation, while physically it was very similar, mm-hmm. it was for a di- very different motivation. And it's something that, um, you know, as, as I've learned more, as I've talked to more people and realized, you know, that, that that is the reality for so many people, um, not only in our community, but across the country mm-hmm. that are having this conversation with their young boys. I know um, Lynn and David Gilkey uh-huh. have these conversations with their kids mm-hmm. as well about, you know, this is the proper way to handle a traffic stop and and things, um, you know, for us in the role that we're in, we work with a lot of police officers. Right. We work with some amazing officers and Absolutely. detectives. Absolutely. Um, And so it is this interesting balance of, um, you know, wanting to make sure that we're we're listening and advocating for justice and things like that and still recognizing that, you know, like you said, that's a very small percentage of that population um, of officers that are that are causing an issue. But it is still an issue. Right. And as um, white people, sometimes that's really hard to Mm -hmm. to put our, you know, our thoughts and feelings aside and go, you know, I'm, maybe I've never experienced this, but if somebody else has, then maybe we need to listen mm. right. and look at how do we, how do we improve? Mm-hmm. And some of it comes down to what I call, you know, the head in the sand mentality. I was talking to a gentleman one day about right after George Floyd was, was killed. And he told his comment to me was, well, Terry, I don't see how you can say he was murdered. We have to wait until the autopsy comes back to find out what happened. I said, well, I don't know how much more of a picture. I said, so let me ask you a question. If that police officer did not put his knee in in his neck, do you think he'd be alive today? He said, well, sure. I said, so you don't think there's a cause and effect there? Well, not until we get the autopsy back. He could have had a heart attack. Well, I would probably have a heart attack, too, if you had your knee in my neck. Right. You know, so and, and so it's just again, it's from that vantage point. But I think you said something critical too, Jen, until we get together and talk. I exposed him to things that he never thought about. Mm-hmm. And he exposed me to some things, too, because from my out my window. Right. I didn't believe that anybody could even think that that wasn't the cause sure. of death. Right. And, and from his window, he was saying, hey, let's just wait. You know, and he, the, the police officer is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. I get that. I get that. But when the eye in the sky is looking at you and you see the, the videotape. It's a little bit more difficult to say that that there's no cause and effect there. And so but again, we had we had we had some great dialogue. And that to me, that's what it's all about. It's having some Mm -hmm. dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, just having conversations and and recognizing that other people have different experiences and and have different um, viewpoints. And, you know, like you said, you you might not agree, but in so many situations, we're not even considering right. somebody else's viewpoint. And the other thing that you said earlier was, um, you know, that that you're hurting. And I think one of the things that I have tried to do over this last week, because, you know, it's interesting. I feel like on one hand, because of the role that I have um, in leadership, I feel like there's been some push for me to say something mm-hmm. about these these issues. But I don't know enough to speak intelligently yet, I think. And so um, I was kind of joking with somebody the other day about the Mark Twain saying about, you know, it's better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you're a fool than open it and prove you are. (laughs) Um, 
But what I have been doing is reaching out to um, some of my my black friends and just saying, are you okay? How, how are you That's doing huge. right now? Um, I messaged Lynn this morning, Gilkey, and just, what, I miss her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, mm-hmm. we usually see each other a lot mm-hmm. more often. Thanks a lot, COVID-19. Exactly. Um, but just, you know, I know that whether you're involved in the protests or or things like that as a community, this has to be incredibly painful to see the backlash and you know the things that people are saying and and struggling through, you know, how do we navigate all of this? And mm-hmm. so sometimes I think the best thing that um, you know, as somebody that wants to be an ally and an advocate, um, but is white, the best thing that we can do is just say, how are you doing? How you How's doing? your heart? Yeah. How's, how are you feeling? Yeah. What can I do? And you know, when I talk about the hurt, that hurt extends to the looting, the, the damage, the destruction. We're shooting at police officers. That serves no worthwhile purpose. And I've said it many, many times. I understand the anger. Mm. I don't understand that outcome. I do not understand that outcome. I understand the rage, but you've got to turn that rage into something that's going to make a change. Quick Trip had nothing to do with George Floyd. Right. You know, so why are we tearing up a quick trip? So I struggle with that, too. Looting, it solves absolutely nothing again. And and I'll say this. I, I understand the rage. I understand the anger. I understand the being bottled up. I understand all those emotions, emotions. But at some point, we've got to turn those to the positive. You know, I'm, I'm watching Facebook today and just looking at, oh, they're going to be here tonight. They're going to be there tonight. I saw it before I came in here today. Oh, they're planning on being in Derby tonight. Who is those them? Who is them? I don't what 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 do you, I know? There's supposed to be another one out at Town East this mm-hmm. Saturday. Mm-hmm. At some point, we've got to get past standing in front of a store and at, at times inciting one another. How do we get on the mayor's council, uh, the civil rights council? I, I found the governor has another one that, that she's starting up. How do we get in those positions? Christina Long this morning, it was posted on Facebook. She, she's she been working with Fidelity. She's I got almost $95,000 is going out to black owned businesses. To me, that's change. Hmm. It's not change because I can pick up a rock and throw it through hmm. a window. That's not change at all. That's, that's mayhem. Hmm. So. so do you think that there are oh, I'm trying to think of how how to word what I'm what I'm thinking. <laughs> um I guess the question is are there leaders in the black community that are organizing these things um that people should be looking to and following or is it kind of pop up things here and there a combination of both? What does this look like? I, I would say at this point, the the nightly events that are popping up, trust me, that the, when you talk about the quote unquote, the leaders in the community, we're not going anywhere at 10 p.m. Okay, we're, <laughs> we're, we're done. <laughs> we're done. It's time to go to bed. OK, so those events that are taking place at 10, 11, 12. No, no. Those are pop up situations and and young folks that have the ability to be leaders. We just have to figure out how to refocus them and, and understand the principles of how to how to organize. I was talking to, to a young man the other day and, and he was, you know, he was, he took me back to the sixties, burn, baby, burn. <laughs> and so I'm talking to him and I said, well, let me ask you a question. How old are you? I'm 19 and I'm pissed. I said, okay, so you're pissed. I said, are you registered to vote? No, I don't do that crap. Well, you know, if you, if you fail to vote, you lose all bragging rights. Hmm. You got to accept whatever comes your way. So let's start there. 
Let's start there and utilize the tools that we have. The people died for, right? Mm-hmm. The people died to make sure you had that right, and then you don't exercise it. You know, and then the other thing, too, you know, and I brought this up to some of my black friends and it, it creates some issues sometimes. And that's OK. That's OK. We, we per, ruffle I'm, a few yeah, feathers every here now and, there. and then, every now and then. But we can't we can't avoid the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is there's still black people killing black people. So we can't we can't sidestep that and just say, oh, white people are killing us. We didn't we didn't march when the two young men were killed here recently in Wichita. I mean, you know, we so we've st- it's, it's, it's all of us. All of us have to clean our cupboard out. And really take a solid look and say, how else do we touch people? How else do, uh, do we impact people? And, and we've got to impact all the way across the board. It's not fair for us to look at an officer that kills someone in a different light than a black person that kills someone. I think there's so many things happening all at once right now that it's just kind of created this perfect storm of... Um, you know, this this emotion that's boiling over and things. Um, in fact, Amber's pastor posted something um, online this morning talking about, um, you know, when we're we're constantly stressed, we're constantly on edge. It's so much easier to set somebody off when, you know, when they're already teetering on the edge versus, you know, if my job is secure and, and I have food and, you know, and there's so many people right now that with the COVID-19 stuff, people have lost jobs. Mm-hmm. They've been quarantined at home. There's so much uncertainty. And then you've got, um, you know, all of the the other issues with the the racial stuff on top of that. It's, it's just one thing on top of another on top of another. And I think maybe, you know, one of those things at a time we could handle a little bit better, a little bit better. But there's just so many things happening for so many people right now. And I think that's, you know, maybe where we're, we're getting a little bit of this boil over, but I think it's also an opportunity to be a catalyst for mm-hmm. some change, which I think is, is exciting. I, I, I totally agree. You know, we, and we do have a, a multitude of things coming together all at the same time, but I think it can be a flashpoint for change. Sometimes it takes multiple events to cause as a nation to look, when, you know, when you see, when you look at the news and you see that they're, they're protesting in New Zealand, something happened, mm. something happened out of the norm. When a, a buddy of mine, Cal Bruton, who played basketball at Wichita State, we were emailing back and forth, or texting back and forth the other day. When things are happening in Australia, mm-hmm. he's seeing protests in Australia. So maybe, maybe we're at that point where mm-hmm. everybody, all of us, Every, as I say, every, every Crayola in the crayon box, <laughs> when all of us start to looking at things and saying, let's, let's really make some changes. How do we do that? How do mm-hmm. we make those changes and, and create equality? Uh, I had a friend of mine the other day, we were talking and when I was at Spirit, I was, I was blessed to be in some, ma- some management ranks in, at Spirit. And his question to me, he said, Terry, he said, and this is exactly how he said it. I, I had to laugh a little bit. He said, well, how do you, uh, what do you, how do you, what do you, how do you, and if I say, hey, just go ahead and say it. Just go ahead and tell me. <laughs> go ahead and tell me what you want to say. And he said, how did you feel going to into meetings all day, every day, and nobody else in the room looked like you? Mm-hmm. And I said, I said, I'd be lying if I didn't notice that, right? I, I saw that. I said, but see, in that situation for me, it's incumbent upon me to carry myself in a way that provides the opportunity for someone else that looks like me, for them to compare him to me and say, hey, maybe we'll give him a chance. Now, if I come in there with the, with the negativity and, and so forth and, and don't represent myself well, 
then I may stop someone else from having an opportunity that looks like me because, hey, you know, that Atwater guy, he was a handful. <laughs> we don't want to we don't want to take this step again. So it, it's incumbent upon all of us that have opportunity. I and mean, that's black and white. It's incumbent upon all of us to take that opportunity. And when we have a chance to to bring someone else along, because that's what it's all about, you know, it to be able to be in those arenas. Was I looked at every day? Sure. Sure. Did it bother me? Not really. Not really, because some of us I was raised, right? Some of us mm-hmm. I was raised, but but I think also that opportunity to have to, to to implement change and let them know that, wow, he's you know now now granted, I'll be honest with you, in those situations, then you sometimes get labeled as the good black. He's the good black. He's not the bad one. Well, and it has to be exhausting to feel like you have to yes. carry that weight mm-hmm. all the time of being an example. Mm-hmm. And like, when do you just get to have an off day? You really don't. I mean, and that's and that's sad. That's the sad reality of it. But it's as my father used to say too, and I and I, I just carried it from it. It's what I signed up for. And what I mean by that, when I decided to not sell drugs, to not go to jail, to not do those things, and try to do the positive things, that's what I signed up for. So that's what comes along with the territory, and I've just got to grin and bear it. And I think any of us that choose to step into any sort of a leadership role carry some of that. But I can count on probably one hand the number of times that I've been the minority in a room. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, my, my experience is just completely different. One of the things that, um, one of the decisions that I've made as a parent um, is enrolling my daughter in Wichita schools. We used to be out in Andover. And she is at um, Mayberry, which is a cultural mm-hmm. and, and fine arts magnet. And I remember going to open house before school started and looking around and going, thank God, not everybody is the same color as mm-hmm. my kid. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't grow up around people that looked differently than me. And so there's been a huge learning curve in my life as an adult that I hope that my kids don't have. Right. Um, because that that learning curve can can start a little more shallow and be stretched out over a lifetime rather than, you know, at 40 trying to play catch up of what other people's experiences have been, because I have spent so much of my life in the bubble. And, um, you know, I've been very fortunate through the work that I've done with ICTSOS and being with um, Carpenter Place for a number of years of getting to um you know, have the privilege of have people having people share their stories and experiences with me and being able to learn from people um, who didn't grow up the way that I right. did. And I've had some people in my life that have been incredibly gracious um, in helping me overcome, you know, not I've, I've never, I've never been a mean spirited person in any aspect of my life. But I've been really ignorant in a mm. lot of aspects of my life because I just didn't know any better. And so one of the things that I'm, you know, very thankful for is the the people of color in my life that have, you know, kind of said, all right, come on, mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll, mm-hmm. we'll help you. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, when you talk about carrying that burden, too, it's funny. So when I came by your house the other day and this happens, I'm telling you, this is this is just how we were. When 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 we came home, and you were like, "Oh, Terry, come on inside. Let's go get this." And the first thing I did was looked over my shoulder to see who was watching me walk into your house, because that was a real concern. I'm thinking, you know, I want to make sure I want to see who's watching me going to Jen's house because they might not understand that we have a relationship, and they may think that there's something else, mm-hmm. you know. And, it, and it's sad, but you 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 become programmed to think like that. 
you really do. You become programmed to think like that. I can, I can think of a time back when I was really enjoyed basketball officiating. I went to a small town outside of Wichita. I won't say the town, but to, you know, we're talking 10, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And to be called the N word at a, at a, at, at, at every instance, and, and you know, as officials, you get to be good friends, right? And so the coach at that particular time, oh, he he lit me up, and it got it got racial. So I kicked him out. Well, you needless to say, the crowd the crowd that went nuts. Well. They went nuts, well. and we went in the and we went in the in the locker room, and the the one of the other officials, a great friend of mine, I'll never forget his line. He said, "Man, you got a lot of guts." I said, "Why do you say that?" He said, because don't you know the next closest black person is probably a town east. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we kind of joke. But, but you know, you, 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 even in that situation, you handle your business and you just continue doing it. it at a lot of the schools in the, in, the, in the outer places, they have a special parking place for officials on game night, on basketball mm-hmm. game night. As an official, you never park in that parking space because then if you if you make a bad call or they know where your car is, they <laughs> right. know where your car is, yeah. so you don't you don't park there. But wow. anyway, again, you know, taking it back to what's going on now, you know, I, I got up this morning because I wanted to see, you know, I heard a lot about what happened at 21st in Mays, and I, I was thinking that there would be some destruction out there, but there was absolutely nothing. There was mm-hmm. absolutely nothing. So I talked and I was talking to another young man this morning, and he said he his comment he says, man, you know, Terry. He said, black people continue to fall for the okie doke, which is a black terminology for you fall for anything. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, did you notice that the police made sure that there was no damage out of 21st and Mays? But it, and they were standing there making sure there'd be no damage at 21st and Mays, but at 21st and Arkansas, mm-hmm. they let them do the damage and then tried to run them off. And I said, wow. And this young man was probably 20, 21 years old. And I hadn't even thought about it from that perspective. So I continue to get this, this, this mental stimuli from a lot of different areas, too. And it causes me to pause and think about things from, from different, mm-hmm. different angles as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, on the flip side of that, I, I saw somebody comment um, kind of in, in response to that, that, you know, if the officers had responded with force they'd be criticized. And if they didn't, they're criticized. And so I think that goes back to what you were talking about with, you know, the looting and things like that. It does nothing to move the issue forward. Um, It just creates situations where nobody wins. Right. Which is, which is unfortunate because I think there, I think there are a lot of people in our community right now um, that are ready to listen Mm -hmm which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and again, this is judging from my social media feeds and the things that I'm seeing, but um, I have a lot of white friends that are really making the effort right now to to read um, anti-racist books, to reach out to, um, you know, different resources and things like that. And so, um, man, I just think we have such a cool opportunity to like mm-hmm. take those steps towards the middle. Um, if people on, on every side of, of these issues is willing. And, and I don't mean, you know, two lines of people, I'm talking about a circle right, of people right. that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. everybody has these different, um, different opinions and, and fall different places on the spectrum of, of things. But if that whole circle could come in a little bit right. tighter, we'd all be so much better off. It's just, it's so difficult, I think, for a lot of people that 
idea of if I come a step closer to you, somehow I'm giving something up. Right. Somehow mm-hmm. I'm losing something. Right. And I don't know, I don't know how we overcome that as a community, but I think we're maybe in a place to at least have that conversation. And I think it starts with dialogue. You know, interestingly enough, I received an email this morning from a guy, very good friend of mine, and he said, hey, we're meeting at 21st in Arkansas tonight at 7 p.m. for prayer. He said, would you be interested in coming? So I texted him back, I emailed, no, he texted me, excuse me, texted me. And I said, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll be there. And right before I came out here, he texted me back and said, hey, we've got some information from the police that some forces outside of, of Wichita are going to wreak havoc if we go down there. So we're calling it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's some there's some things that are going on that don't necessarily involve the white or the black of Wichita. I think there's mm-hmm. some other elements that are coming into Wichita. I really believe that now, you know, because we were going to do that at seven tonight. And now mm-hmm. that's been called off, mm-hmm. which is, again, where that that us versus them mm-hmm. mentality gets so dangerous. Because even if you have <laughs> this mindset that, you know, it's it's this group versus this group, that doesn't take into consideration anything outside right. of that that might be a factor. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, when, when we talk, there's an old adage, too, that, that goes, a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. And so we can talk and learn from one another, but that doesn't minimize Terry the person mm-hmm. because he shared with Jen or Jen the person because she shared with Terry. Mm-hmm. And I've got a, I've got another young man. He and I are going to lunch on Friday. We're going to social distance. We're going to go to lunch. <laughs> but um, he, he's, he just told me and I, he called me and he said, Terry, can we go to lunch? And I was like, wow, you know, you've never asked me. And I said, what's going on? He said, I just want to hear what's going on from you. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, how cool is that? Now, mm-hmm. so so if we're at a point that I'm getting those calls and others are getting those calls, you know, one of the one of the beautiful things that I'm seeing is a lot of my white friends. And I hate to put it like that, but I will. A lot of my white friends are actually responding now. Some of the things that I see on Facebook and what I see, Jen, you posted the other day and it was clear that was 100 percent from the heart. I don't know it all. I don't. I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to try. I'm willing to do something different, but I need help. And so to mm-hmm. even say that, and you know, I had a young lady that works at the bank that I, that I bank at, and she, she posted today and she said, you know, I don't normally do this. And she's right. She doesn't. She shows pictures <laughs> of her kids and the dog and all that good stuff. But she posted today the same thing, said, I'm hurting too. I just don't know. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Where do I go? How do I, how do I change the narrative for Wichita and then Kansas and then the nation. How do we do that? And again, again, I think it starts with 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 talking. I certainly think it starts with empathy. And I think it starts with with just listening, Hmm. you know, just listening, because a lot of black people are hurting. We all trust me. You won't find a black person that doesn't have an experience. You won't find a lot of people. You won't find Hispanic. You won't find white people that have had the same same issues. So it's not confined to a race. However, it is spotlighted as a race. But. If we continue to loot, we minimize the death of George Floyd. Mm. You know, we turn the focus. We change. We go 180 degrees. I guarantee you uh, he's not looking down now saying, you know, that's what I wanted. Right. You know, mm. I, I wanted stores to be looted. I wanted people taking. I'm, I'm watching on the news the other day and they, they got a Louis Vuitton store. Mm. You know, why? Mm. Why? I mean, what does that what does that do? You know, you're, you're ter- and, and then the other part of that, too. When we talk about elephant, white elephants in the room, is that they're they're tearing down black businesses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're vandalizing black businesses, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter the color because anybody that's an entrepreneur, anybody that's in a leadership role, you had to give up something to get there. 
It wasn't a free ride. You had to give up something. Uh, sometimes you if it's just our time, if you're in a leadership role, it's your time. You you can never turn it off. You know, you, it's always turned on. And same thing with the business. I've owned businesses. You know, I've talked to a good friend of mine, her and her husband own 12 convenience stores and, and they're scared to death. You know, they mm-hmm. put their life, their life, blood and money and money into it. And they're wondering, you know, is this going to be torn down? Well, and small businesses are already struggling so much mm-hmm. with the shutdown and things like that, too, that, um, you know, this is one kind of one more layer on top of that. Um, one of the reasons that we asked to have this conversation with you specifically, you and I've had a lot of conversations over over the years about um, about a lot of things about foster care, about our city. Um, we've talked some about uh, racial issues in the past, and I just always appreciate your thoughtfulness um, and and the way you kind of process through things um, and and think about the world. So um, you know, I I don't want you to. To feel, and I hope you don't feel like that. We're just like, who can we talk to that's black? <laughs> oh, absolutely that was not. Oh, Jen, Jen, we have more of a relationship than that, <laughs> so was, no, no. That was never no. the intention. Yes. But no. I just, I respect you so much in the way you you come at these issues. And one of the things um, that we get to do in the role that we're in is have really. Um, great conversations with the kids in our community. Mm-hmm. We go into schools, we talk about trafficking, we talk about healthy and unhealthy relationships. We talk about some of the um, systemic racial things that feed into trafficking happening and exploitation and things like that. And so one of the things, and, and Amber is probably going to roll her eyes at me like she does in class, but I get on this soapbox at the end of class almost all the time. And I just love the energy that our kids have. Mm-hmm. And the the way that they're thinking through things and the the way that they're um, addressing social issues, I think this this generation that's coming up is is way more in tune to those things than my generation mm-hmm. was for sure. And it's just it's encouraging to see. And so I guess my question is um, for the youth in our community, whether that's black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whatever, what are some things that you think? they should be looking to or tapping into as they're seeing these things happening on the news and, you know, or engaging in protests and things like that. Are there some resources or some, maybe some leaders that you would point them to? That's a great question. I, I can tell you, there's a lot of things going on right now. And and when I say going on in the, in the, in the building process, I think there'll be some opportunities for some young people to, to speak out here very soon. I think there'll be if they want to go, you know, some of my young ladies at my, my girls group home, they called me the other day and said, hey, we want to go out to the to the to the protest. You know, we want to be heard. Unfortunately, it was afterwards. And I told them, I said, well, you're a little late on that one. But 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 the fact that they were even cognizant enough hmm. to say that, hey, I want to I want to be a part of this. You know, and trust me, these aren't the kinds going to go out and throw rocks. I don't think. No, they won't. <laughs> but, um, you know, the fact that they were even interested enough to say, hey, I want to go and be a part of this, that that kind of. Kind of made me smile. Kind of made me smile. I, I can tell you. You know, it's interesting too. In, when when you talk about foster care, we've had we've had two hundred and seven since twenty sixteen. We've had two hundred and seventeen teens come through our homes, and believe it or not, we've only had seventeen minorities. We've had seventeen minorities. So I think it's, that would be a surprise to a lot of people. It. it yeah. I can tell you, it does all the time. It, at this point, right now, you know, we're nearly full, and we have no minorities. Huh. 
But it and it doesn't matter to me, but it does surprise people. I think a lot of people when they see me as a CEO or whatever, whatever my title is that particular day, sometimes I take out trash. Whatever but hat you whatever, have on. Whatever hat I have on that day. <laughs> and and then they come into our houses and they kind of look around and they're they're in 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 first disbelief and then awe and then in awe. But to me, it doesn't matter if a, if a young person needs help. Mm. You know, that's when we peel back what I call the protective coating, you know, that 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 layer of skin. We take that protective coating off and then we look at the person needing help is needing help. And so that's right. that's how we look at it. And and we've got to do that with our kids that are out there now. You know, I posted yesterday and in, in, on Facebook, I had a picture of some young black males in suits. And then next to them, the picture right next to them was some young black males leaned with their heads down with hoodies. And my comment was, if this one doesn't scare you, this picture over here shouldn't mm. scare you either. Because it's the same kids, same kids. But you got to take the time to find that out, you know. And, I, and I'm not saying that uh, there's not elements out there, right? That's going to cause create some issues if you try that. But I, but it's still take the time, mm. take the time. Hey, listen, when you talk about prejudice, we're all prejudiced. We've all got prejudice. There's some things I'm prejudiced against, you know. I'm anyway. I won't, Absolutely. Get, in, I won't we, get into specifics. But, we all see the world yeah. through through our own lens. Absolutely, and 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 I think that we have to again. Get out. It's what I call. I say sometimes we have to be uncomfortably comfortable. Sometimes we have to make others uncomfortably comfortable so that they can actually take a look. Because until you shake them, when you shake them mentally, then you cause them to take understand a different dynamic. Right. Because people that are comfortable with Terry, somebody asked me that one time. They said, well, Terry, you 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 speak so well. I said, speak so well as opposed to what? You know, what's your what's your comparison there now? Right. Now, if I'm over my brother's house and we're watching a pay-per-view you know, <laughs> and we're having a good time, I may be a little bit different, Terry. Right. But, but I also understand there are times when I have to to represent myself you know, my family and, and make people comfortable to the point. Because if if someone talks to me and they're comfortable with me and that in itself leads, leads them to talk to another black person, then it's, it's all good. It's all good. It's goodness all the way around. So so that's really how I view things. I think the more that we get to know people that are from different backgrounds than our own, too, the harder it is to lump people into groups, you know, whether that's racially or gender or sexual orientation or, or whatever. It's very easy to um you know, talk about those people mm-hmm. if I don't know any of those mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, somebody starts talking to me bad about Terry, I'm coming after him. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I just think the more, like you said, uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm. that we can have with each other, the more we understand, okay, well, that maybe that's why this person feels this way, or maybe that's why they're acting in this manner now. And maybe I still don't agree with it, but maybe I understand right. with, understand it right. better. Um, but it takes stepping out of your comfort zone and, and being willing to have those conversations. And that's really hard to do sometimes. Right. I keep, uh, having that picture in my mind that you painted in the very beginning of this conversation, you said it's like we're sitting kind of looking out each of our own windows, Mm -hmm. right? We've got our own house inside. We've got our perspectives Mm -hmm. and all of our stuff that we've got going on. Right. Um, but then what we need to do is not just look out that window, but we need to reach over. We need to open the door. We need to walk out the door because that's the only way that we're going to 
gain somebody else's perspective. And I just keep thinking about that as we're having this conversation, because um, you have mentioned a few times the burden that's on your shoulder and the way that you present yourself and act and speak and just live your life. Mm -hmm. And you do it in a way that you know you are a representation And I just keep thinking about that burden that's placed on your shoulders and how someone who's in our position, right, as being white and me particular, I know you can't see us on this podcast, but me, you know, being white, who we need to be a part of lifting that burden Mm -hmm. and kind of doing our part and doing our work and encouraging our neighbors and the people in our communities. Hey, it's it's time that you open your door. You're looking out your window, you're looking on Facebook, you're making some comments, you know, because I've been watching my friends on Facebook and all the people and the things that they're saying. And I try to put my two cents in here and there. But again, it's part of this this change. And like you had said earlier, like we need to come together as kind of a circle. Right. We need to join hands. This us versus them. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of this and a lot of this burden, um, we need to shift off of you. And we need to take it. We need to take our share and say, whoa, look at this burden we have put on your shoulders. And we need to do the work on opening this door, coming out, having this perspective, and then encouraging other people to do the same. And and we've got to make sure everybody has a comfort level, right? Because being Mm -hmm. looking out your window is safe. Yes. It's comfortable. Mm -hmm. If I don't like it, I can close the drapes. I can (laughs) shut the blinds. But when you get out your door and you shut that door behind you, there's a whole lot of other stimuli that come at you that you have to deal with immediately. You know, and I I think also we've got to get to a point. We never want to forget the past. Mm. And there's no such thing as future history. Mm. So so we we have to understand that. But it's like I tell our kids all the time. I said, there's a reason why in your vehicle, your rear view mirror is a lot smaller than your front windshield, Mm. because you need to be looking out there. There's so much more out there. Again, we don't want to forget the past because Mm. we have to embrace that. But let's look out our front window at times and let's see where can we go from here? There's a, a broad panorama out there of things that we can do, places we can go. But we, the best way to get there is together. I mean, mm-hmm. it really is together. And, and how, do we, how do we do that? That's the, that's the million dollar question. But I think right now we're at that flashpoint that everybody is really thinking. If you're not thinking about it now, if you don't have an idea what's going on now, um, bless you. That's all I can say is just bless you because you because you've been, you've been you've been yeah you've been exactly you've been you've been very insulated yeah and yeah so but but uh, but you know I'll touch on that just a little bit and I think that that is part of the the problem and why this flashpoint is so important in getting attention because I'll even just um, tell on myself a little bit here in that I am just I'm. I'm always acutely aware of my whiteness and my white privilege, but I think never more than, than recently this last weekend have I just really truly been, been very aware of that. Um, I had mentioned earlier that, um, you know, I had a birthday, Mm -hmm. um, this last weekend, I had a wonderful birthday. I got to spend time with my family. We did some camping in the backyard because we're not really going anywhere, you know, that kind of thing. I was able to turn my phone off. I didn't have a care in the world. I woke up the next day and I was looking on my phone and I was seeing things about, you know, what's happening that I just really haven't been attuned to. And in that moment, I just kind of looked at myself and I was like, I am in a position in this world that I can turn my phone off and it's not a problem for me. But again, as we're sitting here having these conversations, 
that's not the case for you. That's not the case for this community. And I think that's the, that's kind of the piece that then where, where I am opening my eyes and looking around is like, I've got a lot of work to do, not just in myself and listening, but how many other people are in the position like I am, they've got their curtains closed, they've got their doors shut. Mm-hmm. I need to start knocking on some doors, right? right? Say, right. hey, you, you, need right. to, you need to see what's happening <laughs> right. here, right? You need, to, you need to be aware and awake to that. Yeah, and I, I was watching last night, you know, some of the live feeds and things like that. And again, you know, we, we work with a ton of law enforcement um, folks and, you know, just thinking about their safety. I, I know a lot of officers that were working last night. I was texting friends and saying, you know, be safe. I know reporters that were out there last night. Um, poor Travis Hayne got one of his cameras stolen. Wow. <laughs> Felt so bad for him. Wow. But um, yeah, just, you know, there's, there's all these different pieces and parts of this. And, you know, I, anybody that knows me knows that I love Wichita. I mean, I have the Wichita flag all over everything yeah. I own, but part of loving Wichita is is wanting to have the difficult conversations to create a Wichita that is as amazing for every single person as it has been to me, right? So if we really truly love this city, it needs to be a city that is safe, that has opportunity for everything every resident, not just people in this neighborhood or that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, my youngest and I actually um, were driving. We went and got plants because I'm the crazy plant lady right now, but, You're welcome. which is Amber's fault. You. you did. <laughs> but we were driving through um, one of the neighborhoods near 13th and Grove ish. Okay. And she was on her phone in the car. And I said, put your phone down for a minute. And she did. And I said, I want you to look around the neighborhood. And every single person that we saw outside in the neighborhood was black. And we've been having a lot of conversations about what's going on in the world. And she's she's very, um, no pun intended, very black and white about the world, mm-hmm. and like right mm-hmm. and wrong. Sure. Mm-hmm. Every, she's 12. Mm-hmm. So everything is very definite. Mm-hmm. And she's been very upset by the things that are going on right now. And um you know, driving through this neighborhood. And I said, do you see why people that are living in this neighborhood might be hurting right now? And she was like, yeah, I really do. And for me, and again, you know, we, we moved into Wichita two years ago from Andover. And for her to understand that there are parts of our city where Life is not the same right. for people as it is for us. Right. That was a really, ah, oh, sorry. I brought a tissue box <laughs> because I suspected. I'm a crybaby, she knows. It was just a really powerful moment for me as a mom to know that my kids understand that not everybody has the same opportunities that we were born with just because of the color we were born. And like Amber was saying, we have an opportunity to reach out and take a maybe just a tiny bit of that burden off of somebody else in a hundred different ways. But it means that we have to then be willing to carry that burden. And as a person, as a mom, 
as a Wichita,n I guess that's where I'm at right now is how do I make sure that people know that I'm willing to pick up a little bit of their burden and help where I can. And, you know, I'll tell you what, what both of you all have just, just said to me, what really stands out is your acute awareness. You know, you now have become acutely aware of what's going on. Would you have said that to your child a year ago? You know, would you have came out of the camping, you know, after one night of your phone a year ago and thought the same thing? Maybe, maybe not. You know, maybe, maybe not. But I think that now everybody's becoming so much acutely aware of what is going on around you. You know, one of the things that I talk to my kids about all the time is keep your head on a swivel. I said, always allow you to sneak up on trouble. Never allow trouble to sneak up on you. So you keep your head on a swivel. I think we're all getting to that point of being acutely aware of things to where our head's on a swivel, where we're seeing things. We're seeing that, the fact, you know, when I, I, I jokingly talk with my kids about because, I mean, I've, again, I've got a lot of friends, ton of friends. And when my kids were growing up, fortunately, because we worked hard, when they said there was nothing to eat in the refrigerator, that meant there was nothing in there that they wanted. There was nothing that they wanted to cook. And, but I've been in environments when they say there's nothing to eat, there's nothing to eat. Yeah. And so there are a lot of people struggling. I was talking to Jason Platter and Stacy Cathcart out at Convoy of Hope the other day, and they served 1,100 families the first hour and a half. And, and one of the things, because we still get donations and, and, and I was, we were at a lot of times the Lord's Diner would provide food for us. It used to be a time when we would go and I'll go, I have no problem with it. I'll go pick up food from the Lord's Diner. And the people didn't necessarily look like me. And, and let me be more direct. You know, it looked like they were probably homeless. They may have had some drug issues, you know, not certainly not passing judgment, but just the looking at the people and, and having been around too. But now I go down there and I'm seeing people pull up in nicer vehicles and mm. suit and tie. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so the, the, the problems are real. Mm. I mean, the, the struggle is real for a lot of people now. And so, again, I think for us just to be so acutely aware. And if and if you all can be acutely aware, there's a whole lot more out there that are acutely aware. I'm mm-hmm. thinking about the people and then the, the empathy that if you all only knew what it means to someone black. Because you can, you can easily, we can easily dissect real empathy and, and fake empathy. It's not tough. <laughs> but when you see real empathy with some of the things you all have said today, when there's real empathy there and you're saying, what, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do more. I'm going to look closer. I'm going to dig deeper. I'm going to talk to more people. I'm going to stretch myself. I'm going to become uncomfortably comfortable. That's a, that's a huge step. That is a huge step forward. So, and I think the more people, even people, our listeners that are out there, feel free to become uncomfortably comfortable. Because if you if you become uncomfortably comfortable, now you're in a space where you're going to be again acutely aware, and you're going to really start thinking about what you're saying, what you're doing. Now, again, if we if we remain behind our, our window, mm-hmm. we become comfortably comfortable, right? And we don't mm-hmm. have to do anything. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite scenes. So we, um, we rented out an entire theater and took, um, a bunch of people to go see, uh, a beautiful day in the neighborhood, which is the Tom Hanks mm-hmm. um, film about Mr. Rogers. And there's a scene where, um, the reporter asks, um, his wife, what's it like living with, you know, essentially a living saint mm-hmm. and talking about Fred Rogers. And she says, I don't like it when people call him that because it makes it sound like, who he is and and the way he, um, you know, navigates the world is unattainable. Mm -hmm. 
And she said, that's, that's not the case. He's very intentional. He works very hard um, to put himself in positions to, to be uncomfortable, to learn from, um, from other faiths, from other, you know, people. And, and it's a practice, right? It's an intentional daily practice. And just as you were talking, one of the things that I was thinking is, um, I haven't been to the gym in a minute, but you know, the, the way that you build muscle is to tear that muscle just a little bit and it repairs itself. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if we want to build this muscle of empathy of, of understanding, we got to be willing to tear it just a little bit to let it heal. And, um, I think that's something that, um, you know, hopefully I think a lot of people in our community are, we're ready to get back to the gym. <laughs> right. right. And, and I think, ready to start doing the work. Mm-hmm. Well, I think along with tearing that muscle and rebuilding it, so much is done when we complete the repetitions, right? And we mm-hmm. have that muscle memory. Now right. we need that mental muscle memory where we have that empathy, right? Where empathy comes out, where we take the time. So, and again, that only happens by repetition. Yeah, you don't walk in the gym and squat 500 pounds. Right, right. it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while, if ever. Um, Yeah, if ever in my case. Yeah. (laughs) Right, so so, but again, yeah, that that muscle memory and just, um, and you said a word too that I think is unbelievably critical in any relationship, and that's being intentional. You've got to be intentional. You know, I was walking, y'all think I was shopping Walmart out there every day. (laughs) (laughs) I was at Walmart again. and, And a white gentleman... I would say mid mid fifties, early fifties. He walked up to me. I don't. I've never seen this guy before in my life. And he asked me. He looked me in the face. He said, "Are you okay?" Mm-hmm. And my first thought, did I drop something? But then I looked in, and he was looking me in the eye, and he he really wanted to know was I okay? And I said, "No, I'm not." I said, "I'm not." I said, "I put on my big boy face, you know, and my my big boy pants, and I come in here." But no, I'm not. I'm hurting. And we talked. We had a great conversation. Mm-hmm. I've got his phone number down. I've got his phone number now and, and he and I will become friends, but simply because he took the time to stop me and wanted to know. And he wasn't leaving until I answered him. Trust mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. He asked me, said, are you OK? And, you know, normally what, what are we saying? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I'm good. Mm-hmm. Everything's wonderful. But I yeah. could tell that he was looking at me. And so something about my posture, something about the look on my face, something about the way that I carried myself mm-hmm. made that gentleman say he's not OK. Mm-hmm. Now, a year ago, would he have walked right past me? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But I know that, again, when we start talking about the, the times that we're living in now, for that gentleman to stop me and say, hey, are you OK? Hmm. And, you know, my first thought was, yes, I am. I'm, sure, I'm sure. Don't you see this S on my chest? You know, but then <laughs> yeah. when I saw the way that he was looking at me, I, I told him, no, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. I'm hurting, you yeah. know, for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. You know, so I had a conversation mm-hmm. last week or the week before with T.J. Lawson, mm-hmm. um, who is former pastor here in town and he's with Malibu creative now and, um, had me on, um, a video chat with them. And one of we were talking a lot about the, the COVID-19 stuff. And one of the, the things that we talked about in that conversation was, um, the response to something like nine 11 versus the response to something like this. So nine 11 happened. It was, you know, very short, time period that was uncertain, right? We didn't know what was going to happen next for about 24, maybe 48 hours. And then kind of the dust settled and it was like, okay, what do we do? Mm -hmm. And then with the COVID-19 stuff, it's been this uncertainty of what's going to happen next. 
where are we going? What do we, we can't enter into that recovery phase yet because the, the uncertainty is still ongoing mm. and trying to make that transition. And so that being more of where 9-11 was this very acute trauma, right. the COVID-19 thing being a much more um, slow burn mm. type of trauma. And when you talk about the issues that are now coming to the surface with George Floyd's death and things like that, this is not an acute trauma. It might be something that people are becoming acutely aware of, but for your community, this has been a long, slow burn. Mm -hmm. And um, so I just think, you know, as, as we're looking at these issues, just trying, again, that that empathy and trying to to see this from from somebody else's perspective i i feel like my kind of learning curve i guess in into a lot of this stuff really began when i started ictsos mm-hmm. almost 10 years ago um so you know this is this is not a conversation that i'm just now having right. but it's definitely something that's gotten pushed to the forefront of my mind in the last couple of weeks um for sure but for a lot of people, this is a new conversation. Um, and 10 years is a relatively short time, mm-hmm. you know, for um, for a lot of people when we're talking about these things. So just being able to recognize that, you know, some people just woke up yesterday and realized that racism happens in our right. country. And some people have been dealing with it f- for their entire oh. lives. Um, and, and some and people to, still don't understand it. <laughs> right. Some people, it haven't, yes. yeah. some people haven't made that realization yet. But just trying to meet people where they are and, and you know, all of us maybe maybe try to walk forward together, even if we're not starting at the same starting line with this. Right. And, you know, and it's interesting, too, because a lot of times these issues and I, I don't see this happening with George Floyd, but but the deaths of blacks needlessly, have, it becomes short term memory. Because it was not that long ago we were just talking about Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor. Tra- yes. I mean, and we could go on and on. We could name the names on and on. But this George Floyd thing, you know, they didn't they didn't march in New Zealand for Ahmaud Arbery. Mm. You know, they didn't stop shut down things in Great Britain for Trayvon Martin. Yeah, yeah. something you know, became so, a, so something a tipping is happening. point. Yeah, exactly, right. a tipping point. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And I think people now are starting to to realize that hey, you know, maybe maybe some things aren't right. Maybe some things aren't right now. The other part of that, too, that all black people run into is, you know, 2016, there was a wonderful event held at McAdams Park uh-huh. and, and the barbecue. Right. But everybody now talks about that. What's happened from 2016 to 2020? What's happened at window? Now, there's been some things that have taken place, some yeah. positive things that have taken place. But you're not going to see long term change until there's long-term change. I, I say all the time, change isn't change until there's a change, right? So <laughs> so it's gonna take some some long-term change. I, but again, I look at something, Brandon Whipple, the, our mayor, the other day, he mentioned the 21st Street, hey, I'm gonna form a commission, a civil rights type of commission, that's done. He's got people on that now. Again, our governor said the same thing, she's doing some things there. Mm-hmm. Now, what you see a lot on Facebook is what's next? What's yeah. next? Well, then yeah. I think it's incumbent upon each of us to try to make a difference, try to make a change. If you see injustice, speak out. You know, one of my friends, I was here, said, what do I do? I said, if you see, if, you, if you're around somebody and they're telling a quote unquote a black joke, stop them. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see somebody that's doing an injustice to someone, step in. If you are in those conversations, let them know that those conversations hurt. Mm. You know, I mean, those kind of com- those conversations hurt. The reality of them hurts, too. So. Um, we have that same conversation in the classroom with kids all the time about sexual assault, 
right? Mm-hmm. If you hear mm-hmm. somebody telling, you know, a, a sexist joke or, um, you know, right now there's a huge issue. Well, not now because kids aren't on school, but um, the last few years there's been a, a huge issue with nude photos. Mm-hmm. You know, don't be the one that spreads that. Don't be the one that, you know, perpetuates that kind of activity. And so we talk a lot, a, a lot about that when it comes to sexual assault and things like that. Um, I think that's a conversation that we need to be having about race as well. And mm-hmm. we do to a degree mm-hmm. um, with we the do. curriculum that we do, um, partly just because people can understand, you know, if your friend was telling a racist joke, would you be okay with that? Well, no. Well, then, you know, if they're telling a sexist joke about a girl or whatever, would you be okay with that? Mm-hmm. So we make that, you know, that connection sometimes. But um, yeah, the the bystander thing we talk about a lot with with our youth and um, being the one to say, you know, I'm not okay with that. One of my favorite moments in a school, um, I think we were at Heights. We were in the um, PE class. And honestly, I can't remember the race of the kid now, but he was a basketball player, I think, tall kid. And he walked into the classroom and he sat down like they have the the chair that's connected to the the desktop and he sat on the like the back of the chair. He kind of leaned back and I thought, oh, great. This kid's going to give me trouble all class. And I can't remember what we were talking about a specific scenario or situation or something. And he just was like, that's not right. You don't treat people like that. And it was like every other kid in in the classroom fell in line because he was a leader Mm -hmm. and um, you know, he's obviously a popular athletic kid and, mm-hmm. and the other kids mm-hmm. kind of look to him for to set the tone for things. And so that's one of the things that we talk about a lot of times with, um, you know, obviously the buzzword right now is is white privilege and using our privilege. But we have privilege in all kinds of different ways Absolutely. and influence in all kinds of different mm-hmm. ways. And so if people use that privilege and influence um to encourage people to step outside of their door um, and have these conversations. I think that's where we'll start to see things really change. And our kids have way more privilege and influence in their circles than they realize. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that we've really tried to um, empower kids when we go into the classroom, um, that they they do have power to change things, um, even as middle school and high school kids. And so, um, yeah, I'll just, I'll be interested to see, um, how our kids are able to engage with, with some of the things that are going on and hopefully given, um, some platforms for, for some leadership and, and to have their voices heard. Um, cause they have some pretty great things to say if we listen to them. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I'll tell you one of the, one of the comments that sparks a big flame with black people is when someone white says, I don't see color. I mean, so first of all, let's be real. Let's be real. You see color. And number mm-hmm. two, I want you to see my color. Mm-hmm. I want you to mm-hmm. see it because if you don't, if you're telling me you don't see it, that means you don't approve of it. You don't recognize it. And you're not giving me the credit for being who I am. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to go to sleep tonight, black. I'm going to wake up black. <laughs> yeah. And so well, for, for someone to say. <laughs> no matter how much we don't want to see color, we do. You so do? funny story. Yeah. We've been working with the homeless outreach team mm-hmm. to help a lady um, that has cataracts in both of her eyes. She was, was living on the street, um, almost completely blind. Mm-hmm. 
And when I met her for the first time, I was just asking her, I said, you know, how much can you see? Can you see light versus shadow or, and she's a white lady. Can you see, you know, color at all? She goes, I can tell you're white. So if somebody (laughs) almost blind can tell tell. tell I'm white, we see color. We see color. We see color. Even even almost blind people. I heard, um, I heard somebody Oh gosh, what was, I don't know if I I was watching somebody on Facebook. Somebody had a really good response to that, that I heard. I wish I could credit them. I can't remember where I heard it. Um, But they said in response to that, you know, if you're going to say, well, I I don't see color, I'm colorblind. You know, I just love everybody. How are you going to recognize racism if you can't see color? That's good. And I thought that was a very, very good good response to that because I think in, in, at least for, for white peoples, I think in our minds, it's kind of a knee jerk reaction. It kind of makes us feel better mm-hmm. when we say those kind mm-hmm. of statements like, well, I, you know, I, I love everybody the same. You don't recognize the issue. You don't recognize racism right. if you say that you don't see color. Um, so absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up. Right. So and, you know, when that. we look even even in my own homes, I don't love all my kids the same. I love them differently. <laughs> I love them differently. I mean, I love them all, but I mean, it's it's almost impossible to love them all the same. And, and mm-hmm. for you to step outside and say that I don't see color, then that means I see you on the same level as me. So yes. I can't have any empathy because my assumption is you've had the same rights and privileges as I have. Absolutely. So if I don't see color, then we're in a wonderful world. We just we just hit utopia, you know, because we're all the same. But that's not the case. It's you know? very easy to be in a place of denial then about your yes. experiences. Yes. And that's where I mean, you've mentioned several stories of um, people asking you, "Has that really happened to you? Mm-hmm. Wait, really? Is, mm-hmm. that, is, that a, is that a real thing? And I think that's part of it is mm-hmm. that we think that our experiences have to be the same as yours. Right. And if we put it in that category, we can very easily dismiss it and say that it's not a problem. And on the one hand, then we don't have to do hard work if well, it's, it's not a problem. And it's interesting, too, because we hear that same thing over and over again when we go to talk to people about trafficking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that, that doesn't really happen in Wichita. Does that really happen here? Right? And and so, you know, obviously the more we learn, the more we think, what a ridiculous statement. Right. How could you not think that right. that's happening here? Right. How could you not know this? But the reality is, is you don't know till you know. Right. Right? And I will never know what it's like to walk through the world as a man, as a black person, you know, as any number of things mm-hmm. that you are, mm-hmm. just like you won't ever know what it's right. like to walk through the world as me, which is probably good because it's a strange place in my head. <laughs> <laughs> but we can at least try to empathize mm-hmm. and, and maybe not even mm-hmm. understand but just recognize that if you tell me this is how the world works for you, I should probably believe you. Mm-hmm. Because if I told you this is my experience about the world, I would expect you to believe me. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's interesting what you said to the people who say that really happens to you. You really get on an elevator, and if I'm in a sweatsuit, a white female will clutch her purse a lot mm-hmm. tighter. But if I get on in a suit and tie, they're relaxed, and I'm the same person. Mm-hmm. That's happened. Yeah, that's happened. And I'm thinking, there's nothing in your purse that I want, you know. So I immediately, you know, talk to them and 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 try to create some comfort, right? Because I'm I didn't, you know, the door shuts and you can almost see the fear. The fear just grips mm-hmm. them, you know. And I, I call it the I call it the the cable effect the cable TV effect, you know, they see that and they just become, (laughs) oh, he's gonna, he's gonna grab me. What is he gonna do? He's gonna snatch my purse. Mm -hmm. And I have no intention of doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so sometimes you have to, 
look beyond and understand that there's that there's a greater good in all of us, right? It really mm-hmm. is. There's a greater good in all of us. We just have to take the time, like you said, we have to take the time. I don't I don't want I don't need anyone to understand me from my perspective, but I need them to listen to me from your perspective. Mm-hmm. And and if if they can do that, then we become closer. You know, we get closer to closing that gap. I'll never understand what it's like to be a white female. You're absolutely right. And you and, and vice versa. But if we listen to each other from a vantage point of listening to understand uh, to the best of our ability, then I think that brings us closer. Mm. It really does bring us closer. So. When we we see that with our survivors, we see it with our kids in foster care. You know, there's a lot of decisions that they make or, or behaviors that they have that we look at and go, what in the world is, why would you do that? And when you see the world through the lens of trauma, um, through the lens of not feeling safe, through the lens of not trusting anyone, then their decisions, while they still not, may not be what we agree with or what we choose, they make sense. We go, oh, I could see why you, why you did that. Or I could see why you made that choice. And, you know, that's regardless of, of race or gender or whatever. We all have our own set of experiences. Right. And, um, you know, we don't always understand why somebody makes the decisions or does the things that they do until we take the time to listen to the story. Right. And I'll tell you, one. the gentleman that asked me has said, hey, how do you feel walking into meetings all day, every day and nobody else looks like you? And so we talked about that. And in his probably the most profound thing he said to me, he said, Terry, I'll tell you what. He said, there's not a white male in this room that would go to meetings all day, every day in a room full of people that look like you. And until we can get that to that comfort level, we're not there. We've got work to do. We've got work to do. And and I was talking to another one of my friends. He said, do you ever? He said, because I go out at times and if I'm around a lot of black people, I get nervous. I get scared. He said, do you, do you, when you're around a lot of white people, do you get nervous and do you get scared? And I said, no. He said, so see, you have some advantages we don't have. So I said, <laughs> well, I guess that's a nice way of looking at it. I had never thought about it like that. But, um, you know, and, but that's real. That's real. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and, and I've thought about that a lot since he said that. I, it, and maybe I'm just, I was going to say crazy. Maybe that's not it. Maybe I've been, been around a lot of things. <laughs> so the, the fear of that doesn't, and, 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 that conversation he he asked me too. He said, "When you're in a room full of white males, do you have a fear? Are you fearful?" And I said, "Well, what do you mean?" He said, "Well, are you scared?" I said, "Well, to me, there's a couple types of fears, right? There's the physical fear, right, and then there's the the intellectual fear that I'm inferior." I said, "So I don't have that fear that I'm inferior. Now, am I stupid enough to believe that if there was an uprising right now, I'm, and I'm and there's 40 people in the room and 39 of them don't look like me, is that an issue for me? Yeah, it's an issue." It's an issue. There's going to be a problem for me. But, you know, I I guess, again, I don't walk into the room thinking that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I also think that a white person should never walk into a room full of blacks thinking, oh, my God, something's going to happen. And and maybe something is going to happen, but maybe it's something good. Mm. Maybe it's something positive. Maybe it's something that will uplift you. Maybe it's something that will educate you. Maybe it's something that will cause you to have an aha moment. Right. Mm -hmm. So so we almost have to go into it. I think if we go into it with blinders on, you know, because. It does us no good to walk out the door, to get out of the window and walk out the door. If we walk out the door and we still have blinders on, and to a degree we're still looking out the window because we still have that small space in front of us. Mm. And so, well, And you're also mm. going to find what you're looking for. 
Yes. So if you're mm-hmm. looking for negativity, you're going to find it. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for opportunity, you're going to find that. If you're looking to understand, you're going to find understanding. Mm-hmm. That is so true. Wow, this is this is this is this has been enlightening. <laughs> I feel like we could probably continue this conversation on into the night, mm-hmm. but we've been at it for about an hour and a half. So we should probably wrap up this conversation. <laughs> I would just like to say, as we kind of wrap up, um, really to just both of you, especially to you, Terry, as our guest here, but then to you as well, Jennifer, just to thank you both for your leadership in our community. You guys are just gifts to Wichita. I will tell you that thank right you. now. If either of you try to move away from here, I'm sitting in front of your house and I'm not letting you go anywhere. Terry might um, give, be a I'm, gift. I'm, I think I'm, I'm a t- consolation prize. I'm, I'm too old. <laughs> he ain't going anywhere. Good. We need you I around. I just bought a house. I'm, I will die in that house. I, my mom said, I hope you don't move again anytime soon. I said, I'm going to die in this house and then I'm going to come back and haunt it. Right. <laughs> so I'm not going anywhere either. Uh, well, and let me let me say this too. I yes, appreciate please. the opportunity for you to have this forum. You know, not knowing the the the, the breadth of your of your listenership, I, this is what needs to take place. You know, this is what needs to take place. I, I get asked now, particularly a lot, to do these type of things, and and to me, it's it's a blessing to have this opportunity. So for that, I thank both of you all mm. just to have the opportunity to share my story because mm-hmm. see I'm not sharing the black story I don't now the one burden I won't take on is the burden of all black people mm-hmm. you know but I will take on my burden and, and, and carry that with the understanding of the burden of all black people yeah so yeah I was gonna say thank you for selecting us <laughs> to come in here and share um, we are just we're honored to get to 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 I guess post this out there for for people to hear. Yeah. So thank you for your time today as well. Selfishly, I'm just happy anytime I get to hang out with Terry. Yeah, we do, and we do I hang know. out. I know. And thank Terry you for the wonderful thank you for the wonderful gifts for all seven of my houses <laughs> just recently too. Thank you. For th- she always thinks of us. Jen always uh, thinks no, of us. Always. No, she thinks about everybody. Yeah. I keep I tell everybody everywhere I go. Jen is just she's just like the mother of 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 Wichita <laughs> mm-hmm. of all of us of anybody who's ever in need. It's it's like the they've got Jen. They've got Jen's number and they just yeah. say, mom. And she, <laughs> and she says, okay. And she says, what do you <laughs> need, says, honey? Okay, what do you need? Okay. I try to oh, be yeah. there. Well, so as we wrap up, speaking of your, your homes, um, we'll link, um, your donation page and things yeah. like that Thank for, you. for people in the show notes. Um, are there things right now in particular that you are in need of for your kids? You know, right now, the best thing that helps us is gift cards, mm-hmm. Dylan's mm-hmm. Walmart, Target, where where my staff can go and get specific things. My staff is very well trained on how to stretch a dollar, <laughs> and so gift cards absolutely work well. I can I can tell you, and I'll give them a. And then too, I, I mean, I could go on and on from the the, the businesses from Cargill to Spirit to Highland Dairy sure. to on and on and on. Just those businesses that have Cox. Cox comes through for us every Christmas, mm-hmm. and I'm missing some. Forgive me if I am. But just those businesses that have the opportunity, not just to, it takes a village, but any any nonprofit, mm. if you've got the opportunity, you've got those funds available, there's plenty of uses out here. We can put them to good use. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can always put them with this ICTSOS, whether it's it takes a village and on and on. We could go and rise up for you and on and on and on. There's so much overlap between organizations that are all serving the same populations. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I've said for years. If you give to it takes a village, you're fighting trafficking. Right. If you're supporting the children's home, if you're supporting the child advocacy center, 
you know, a donation to, to anything that is, is supporting our youth for sure right now um, is supporting our mission as well. So I love that you said that. And you didn't say it, you were very diplomatic and said gift cards, but I'll just tell people cash is king right now. We can mm-hmm. buy gift cards yeah. with cash and that works well. <laughs> cash is king. Yes. Cash yes. is king. Because yeah. there's so many things that pop up that are an unexpected need, mm-hmm. you know, like the staffing thing, gift cards won't pay your staff. Right. right. Um, you know, so, and it's super easy for people to donate financially as right. well. I know a lot of people prefer to give, um, something in kind and, and there's definitely things, um, that you guys can use there and the gift cards are super helpful for that. But, um, you know, as donors that are listening to this, um, nonprofits right now have so many quickly changing needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people have had to pull back financial support as as they've been furloughed or as their situation has changed. Um, Small businesses support a lot of us and we know our small businesses are struggling. So um, I would encourage people, you know, to just if it's five dollars, if it's five hundred dollars, you know, make a donation in whatever um, amount you're able to as well. So we'll get all of that linked so that everybody knows where to find you. is always a joy to get to spend time with you. And likewise, likewise. So, I think Amber's right. We could probably talk till 10 p.m. We could. Then nope. I'll get sleepy. Nobody wants to listen to us for that long. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's true. I could sit here and listen to you both all day. Listen to Terry's all radio day. announcer voice. All great day. voice. Oh, maybe I have another career after this. Yeah. I want to I wanna bring you on as a regular. I can't really pay you anything. But <laughs> I, I'm cheap. Wait till I can pay you. We'll work for food. No, no, no. Wait, wait till I can well, pay you. We know how many teenagers you you're trying to yeah, feed, no kidding. so no, no kidding. <laughs> it might I'll be cheaper to way. pay you. <laughs> I'll find a way. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you. And we will post Terry's information in our show notes on our website. And as always, um, you know, for future episodes, visit ictsos.org and you will also find Terry's information on there. So again, thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you.